Hey, V1 Church, man, this this is going to be, just get ready. I'm just saying, get ready. This message was preached by my wife, Pastor Julie, and she has some incredible insights. But I'll tell you one thing that she does is the Lord uses her for breakthrough. And she preached about how we can be free from not just sin, but sin and shame. And I'm telling you, if you make a commitment, promise yourself, I'm going to make it all the way to the end of this message. You're going to be a puddle of tears like everyone else was in the auditorium. And you're going to get free from shame in your life. And so without further ado, this is part two of Blurred Lines, No Shame Zone. I'm Julie Signorelli. Um, Michael and I uh, pastor this church and we love it and it's awesome. And he's preaching in Queens this morning. So we're tag teaming today and I bribed my kids with all the candy this morning. It's like, guys, mommy has to preach whenever you want, okay? So uh, we are in a series called Blurred Lines, and we are talking, we're, the church, we feel like needed to step into the conversation about sex, okay? So if you have little kids and you feel a little uncomfortable or whatever, we do have V1 kids. They're more than welcome to go there. They're more than welcome to um, stay with you, but you might have to answer some questions, okay? Um, so sorry, that's your disclaimer. Um, and so we are talking about uh, how to have freedom in this area and what God says about this area. And whether you're single, you're married, divorced, man, this is going to be an awesome series because all of us at one point or another have had some kind of baggage in this area. And so we are just, this is, this is what, what I told first service. This is a no shame zone. Okay. Can you say that with me? No shame zone. All right. So we are just stepping into this conversation for this series. And I thought you guys needed a, like a girl's perspective, eh? I'm from Canada. eh? I'm not from Canada. I'm from Indiana, but I get asked if I'm from there all the time. Something about my Midwest. I don't know, whatever. Okay. That's another series. Um, But if you get anything out of this message today, if you walk away with one one one-liner, it's that Jesus was a scapegoat for our sin and shame, both of it. Not just sin, the shame from our sin. Jesus came to set us completely and 100% free, amen? V1 Church is a no shame zone. And the other thing I want you to walk walk away with is that victory is the birthright of believers. So maybe you didn't come from a family, maybe you came from a family like mine, just working class, Um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't left a, a sprawling farm in a big dowry, I don't know, inheritance, that's, that's the word I was looking for, inheritance. Um, but here's the thing, I have a birthright in Jesus, and it's complete victory, okay? So if you come from a, a lineage like mine, or maybe you do have an awesome sprawling farm with servants, that's awesome. Victory is also your birthright. And so we're walking out of here with everything today, okay? So um, here's the thing about shame is that's what we're talking about. Now, I want you to hear me. I'm going to use the term shame in the area of our sexual identity. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about the shame that comes into that area of our life, okay? So we're going to talk in more detail about that. I just wanted to give you some context and how I'm going to build, build that thought. But here's the thing about shame is that shame creeps up and takes over in an unexpected 
way. And sometimes we have it and we don't even realize that we have it. And so before you even realized what happened in a situation, sometimes we're victims of shame and we don't even know it. And so here's the thing is that it creeps up in ways that are minor and extreme. We had a testimony this morning and last week of an extreme version of how shame can come in. Sometimes it's minor. Well, you weren't as cute as I thought. Right? Can create a lifetime of shame. It's very, very sneaky. And so sometimes, you know, shame is like this little thing that we feel throughout the day. So last week, we were, uh, you ever have one of those weeks where it's just like, you're like, did I sleep? Did I eat? I don't know, you know, kind of one of those. And so with kids, if you don't have kids, I'm going to help you understand this. Kids can take a clean house and turn it into like a legit war-torn region in like 30 seconds on a busy week. Okay. So, um, yeah, if you ever figure that out, just email me. I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. So anyways, I was, uh, I had this house situation. It was like a wreck. We had all these things going on. Every night was busy and we were gone all day. And so, uh, Mike gets this call and he's on speakerphone and you know, men, they just, well, not all men. My dad was like a clean freak, but my husband, he's, he's not really phased by messes. It doesn't, doesn't like bother him. And so I'll be like, Oh, I can't even think here. He's like, I'm great. Like he'll just take a nap on the dirty laundry. It doesn't bother him at all. I like, Lord, give me that anointing, please, please. That's what I want to walk out with today. Anyways, um, I'm one of those, I can't even think, I can't entertain, I can't, I can't even be nice. Anybody just mean, messy people? Okay, all right, I got you. I feel you. So we were, my, my husband's having this conversation on speakerphone, and I hear, it was Ayush, I hear Ayush say, I'll just stop by. Oh, why are we stopping by? <laughs> Why? I was like, you ever go into panic mode and you're just start like shoving things places and you're like, I'll find it later. You know, I'm like literally setting things on fire, shoving things. I'm like, now, do I think he cares? No, but I care. Right. And so here's the thing. Sometimes the mess in our life has a really good explanation. I had a million and one reasons why my house was a mess. But it stops other people from coming in. And it kind of pushes us into an area of isolation. And when we're ashamed what people are going to say or think if they really see the mess that's in our lives. And so sometimes you see a pile of dirty laundry in someone's heart and it's an affair. And sometimes you see a pile of dirty laundry and it's disrespect. And sometimes you have, and you have these things that kind of build and create our emotional house. And so then you come into church and you don't want anybody to see it because if they really seen it, would they really love me? Would they really help me? And so we keep saying like, when I clean it up, then I'll come to church. When I clean it up, then I'll join a dinner party and be vulnerable. When I clean it up, then maybe I'll be open about what I'm really going through. And so shame kind of keeps us isolated in those moments. Has anyone been there? And so V1 Church, our heart is that we willfully encourage you to invite people into your mess. And even when we see it, we don't judge you. We just say, hey, let's take this and let's walk to the cross together. So that's our heart. And so I want to 
encourage you, even though we're talking about the area of sexuality, you could really kind of put this on anything because shame can come any way, any form, any way. It's just this happens to be the most isolating part of it. And so our sexuality is not above the cross and it's not beyond the cross. And so our sexual identity, it's personal and it's complex. And I do not want to undersimplify it, okay? This is not going to, this 25-minute sermon is not going to change your idea of everything that culture has spoke to you for the last, no, it, it might, it might not. And so there are journeys when you have extreme circumstances where, where shame will creep in due to being misled or due to abuse or all these things. And so I want to encourage you, keep going on that journey, but there is freedom. And that's my job as a pastor is to declare that freedom, that it's possible, that it's available, and it's here this morning. Amen? And so it is personal and it is complex. And so I don't want to pretend like it isn't. And it's not simple. And I know that Christianity wants to simplify it into a one-liner or a, or a nice little picture of a landscape with a mean phrase on it that we all share on Facebook or whatever. And I know that that's like easy, but you have to understand that we were born into nature and nurture and these things evolve and shape over long periods of time. And your sexual identity begins the minute that you conceive for culture. So I'll give you a story. When I was pregnant with Everly, I went to Tar... Oh, darn it. I wasn't going to say the name. I said it first service, and I said it again. Target, I love you. I'm sorry. Didn't want to say it. It wasn't here. It's fine. Another state. It's good. It's all good. I, I went to... I was, you know, thought I might be pregnant with Everly. I went and got a test. And as, as it's coming across the thing, this poor girl, she said, do you hope it's positive or negative? I just looked at her and I'm like, I don't, I mean, if you say anything other than positive, you're immediately judged. Hello. And so I was like, so taken off guard. And first I'm like, they need to train you. Oh, who says that? But we have this thought as soon as you tell people, I'm going to have a baby. Immediately people are like wanted or unwanted. Even if you're married, single, doesn't matter. That's what culture. Oh, did you want? Oh, you have, you have five kids? You wanted another one? Yeah, I did. And if I didn't, I'm not telling you. But anyways, wanted or unwanted, boy or girl. It's a girl. Oh, you already have two. You want another one? It's a boy. Are you disappointed? And so culture starts speaking. It starts speaking to that. And so while the world is busy, aggressively forming who we are and who we should be and our thoughts about sex and our visualization about sex and what it is, God was also forming our identity. And so from the very first sin all the way to the cross and to right now, you have this, this, uh, this war between truth and lie. What happened when Jesus was found that he was resurrected from the grave? A truth went out and a lie went out. His body was stolen. No, he, he's risen. And the same thing is happening over our identity. And it's constantly being pulled in a truth or a lie. Women, you need to be more sexualized. Is that a truth or a lie? Some people don't know. Men just want it all the time. Truth or lie? That's not true for everybody. 
And so you constantly have culture pulling at that and God is speaking to our identity before it even exists. And so I'm just going to give you like four quick scriptures, okay? Because Jesus was talking about our identity before we were born. And yet the world starts speaking to it immediately when we're born. And yet we believe what they say over what God says. Let me read these to you really quick. Galatians 1, verse 15. But when he, he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by grace. Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Your identity was sealed before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 71, verse 6, upon you I have learned from before my birth that you are he who took me from my mother's womb and my praise will continually be of you. That's all the things before you're born. Isaiah 44, 24, Redeemer who formed you from the room. I am the Lord who made all things. You alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Man, God was speaking to our identity way before Drake got to it. God was speaking to our identity way before Cardi B got to it. Before MTV, before Instagram, before the explore section on Instagram, which can just burn for all I care. I'm like, oh my gosh, the things that pop up on there. And yet God designed sex to be this awesome experience in, the, in between the context of marriage. And, and instead of being this obligation, like the world or like even Christian marriage sometimes makes you feel like it should be, what God is saying is that I've created this feasting table where you can be unashamed, where you can be fulfilled, creative, intentional, and it's designed to be a no shame zone. Everybody say it with me, no shame zone. But here's the thing. In life, we experience things that bring shame into the area of our sexuality, whether that's choices that we make or whether it's things that have been done to us, wanted or unwanted, and it causes separation and it causes shame into this area of sexuality. And so what happens is you get into marriage and the years that we've spent single or married and we've made choices and we've had expectations and what happens is these huge gaping holes develop in our sexuality of past hurts and people with unfulfilled sex lives don't say anything or attempt to even talk to God about it because who would talk to God about our sex life? And yet shame has no problem taking a foothold in that area. And we'll talk in your ear all day about who you are and who you're not. And the very thing that God meant for fulfillment, beauty, and pleasure has now become the darkest and most isolated place of our identity and sometimes of our life. Here are just a few ways that shame can infiltrate in your, in your life. I'm just going to give you a few examples. I know there's a million, but I'm just going to kind of give you a few. When a spouse looks at another man or woman, 
criticism, and I'm not talking about just look. I'm talking about look and look again. And we've done it, girls and guys, so just so you know. Uh, Criticism of body, whether that be of yourself or someone else criticizing you. Abuse, whether that be physical, verbal, sexual, uh, intimidation, lying, rejection, self-image issues. Sometimes nobody has to say anything, and the enemy is so cruel that he'll speak lies to you that no one's ever even said, and we believe him. Comparison. And a lot of people hear the word shame, and they immediately think, well, only if I'm abused then I have shame. No. Shame is like a little fox. It kind of creeps in. And even though shame is probably the most prevalent associated with some kind of abuse, the fact is, is that I have done marriage counseling for years and years. And what happens is even mismatched expectations about our sex life will bring in shame into the bedroom. A wife will feel ashamed because maybe she wants it more than him. Because that textbook Hollywood caveman version, guys, that's not always true, okay? And then vice versa, maybe, maybe there's a, a mismatched desire on his end. And so what happens is, is this truth and this lie starts duking it out and no one's talking about it and the church isn't talking about it. And so the only recourse is isolation. Shame grows in isolation, guys. And so what happens is we have mismatched expectations. And even if you're single, maybe you've been single for years and you feel helpless. You feel like, like you're a slave to this desire because that desire is from God, but it's about healthy boundaries that God designed. And so you're afraid to go on a journey with someone about that. It could be one comment from a classmate. I've counseled people who somebody said one thing in the fourth grade and man, it just carried them all the way through. It's true. It could be from an ex, a family member. It could be from your mouth into the mirror. Sometimes it's just the rejection of emotional intimacy. And all of these wounds and all of these hurts start setting up camp in our sexuality. And if you're not sure about whether or not you're dealing with shame, these are just a few ways that you can help see if you identify in this area. So they're gonna put those on the screen. And again, I'm gonna read through them really, really quickly. Um, Fear of exposure and intimacy. If you have a fear of exposure of intimacy, you might be dealing with shame. uh, Feeling of being inadequate. Devastated by criticism. Extreme fits of rage and happiness. So you kind of just go from one end to the other people-pleasing, primarily motivated by fear, underperforming to avoid risk of failure, underperforming to avoid risk of failure. Maybe it's that somebody told you something way a long time ago, and now you're in your job, and you have this project, and you're underperforming out of fear of failing and being amazing. Shame. Believe it or not, that can work its way into your sexuality. Self-hate. Shame and condemnation, if you're taking notes, write this down. Shame and condemnation never come from God. It comes from the wrong things we've done and the things that have been done to us, but shame and condemnation 
never come from God. Satan functions in shame. Listen, I'm a millennial. I know it is not popular to talk about the devil, but I'm about to talk about him for about five minutes, okay? I know it's uncomfortable, but we need to be aware that we have an adversary and Satan loves shame. And if you've ever wondered, why do I always hear this thought that like, I'm, you know, not good enough or I should feel guilty about this thing I did last year, the year before, the year before, the year before, that's the enemy lying to you, trying to keep you in bondage so that you do not break free from shame. He loves shame. Jesus took sin and shame. And when we, what, what happens is when we shut the enemy down in shame, he loses his grip because he thrives in shame. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, when we talked about the video up there, the temptation for a story like we heard earlier is that it's a private journey to keep it private. I do agree that you know, not everybody should maybe share on that level because you're on a journey. But the Bible says that we overcome by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the lamb. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but she overcame with the blood of the lamb and the word of her testimony when she silenced the shame. Does that make sense? The thing that the enemy wants to keep you most isolated is probably the area where you need the most victory. Isaiah 53, verse four through five. Surely he has bore our grief and sorrows and yet esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions or our shame or our fear. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, Adam, the original sin, right? The apple. Let me tell you, it was a tag team effort, ladies. It was Adam and Eve, okay? Don't get so prideful. But the first Adam, he brought shame into the world from a tree. And wouldn't it just be like Jesus? to get rid of shame on a tree. And so God heals from shame. God heals from shame. And so I'm going to give you three ways that God can heal you from shame. Okay? Is number one, God rebuilds. God doesn't leave things broken. God doesn't leave things broken. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how. It was not good enough for Jesus to go to the cross and come out of the grave with crutches. It was not good enough for Jesus to come out of the grave still bleeding. Jesus came back totally and completely healed. And the scars only served as a reminder that, hello, God has rebuilt what the enemy tried to steal. God rebuilds. Number two, God redeems. God redeems. Psalm 103 verse four, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. 
For some of us, our shame, whether it be in the context of our marriage, whether it be the context of our singleness or maybe our heart or our mind or wherever, wherever that shame has been growing or not dealt with, for some of us, it's become, become a pit. And for some of us, I don't know, I'm from Indiana, so real talk, I've probably been in a few pits in my life. Like literal ones, not spiritual ones. I haven't seen any pits in Queens, but I have seen some pretty gaping holes in the street. Um, and there was a story about someone who I was with who actually fell in one. But that's another time. That's another time. I won't tell that one. Okay, I told it. And so I don't know if you've ever been, it, when we were, my, my aunt and my uncle, they had a farm in Indiana. And so they would uh, dig holes, like the kids, we just gave us shovels. And I know that's what you do in Indiana, right? You're judging me. You're judging me a little bit. And so they had a barn and we would do things and like, it would not be uh, crazy for you to dig a hole big enough for you to get in. Now, here's the thing. Getting in is the easy part. Getting out is the tough part. And so this morning, what we want to do is create a space and say, hey, you may not be able to get out of this situation by yourself, but we want to help you. Will you stand with me this morning? So number one is that God rebuilds. Number two is that God redeems. And I love that that scripture says that he crowns you with love and compassion. If you've ever had anything in your life where you've had shame, the thing that the enemy keeps speaking to you is that no one will understand. They'll hate me. They're not going to want to work with me anymore. They're not going to want to see me anymore. There's a point of our vulnerability that we stop at out of fear. But I love that his word says that he crowns you with love and compassion. And so the first thing that Jesus does once you get out of the pit is he puts a crown on you. And he says, you know what? I love you. Like last week we talked about Sometimes we just hear our dad say, I'm just glad you're okay. And we think we're going to be met with all this judgment and all this shame and all this fear. And yet he pulls us out of the mess that we made, right? The hole that we dug, the decision that we made or one that was dug for us and we were thrown into it. But he pulls us out the same way and gives you a crown and a robe and a hug and compassion. Number three is that God restores. I love this quote by John Maxwell. He says, life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Some of us have had to do a lot of work getting out of our pit. And even if somebody just pulls you out, your grip better be real tight. Because if you let go, you're going back in. <laughs> and so you got to fight 
Jesus has already done the work. He already set you free from sin and shame. But we got to walk in that victory this morning. Some of you are going to have to walk it out by being vulnerable with someone. Some of you are going to need to walk it out by going up to the prayer team after this. Some of you are going to need to walk it out by, by attending therapy or going to a group or counseling. Some of you are going to have to take some ownership over your victory. Because guess what? The fight is fixed. He already won it for you. Your shame is gone. And so I want to read this scripture to you. And then we're going to get rid of our shame together this morning. Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Verse 11, this is life, man. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, Jesus, and the word of our testimony. Guess how shame goes? By Jesus' blood and by your mouth. This morning, we are gonna get rid of our shame. How many wanna be completely free of shame this morning? Shame from our past, shame from our present, shame from the things that were handed to us and shame, free from shame for the things that we chose. Guess what? It all is at the same pit. It's all at the same level playing field because it all ends at the cross this morning. And so today we are gonna get free from shame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. I'm gonna tell you how we're gonna do this this morning. Here's what I want you to do. If you're married, this is for single people too, but if you're married, I want you to just hold hands. If you're married, just grab the hand of your spouse. If they're by you, if they're in the room, maybe just walk over to them. And I want you guys to hold hands. If there has been shame in the context of your marriage, whether that be emotional shame, sexual intimacy, whatever that is, what I want you to do, or maybe something in this sermon, you're like, I just need to talk about my spouse. I know it's not the best you know, situation right now, but whatever. I just want you to do this really discreetly. I just want you to take their hand and just give it just a, a small squeeze. Maybe you don't have any and praise God for that. But if there's something in this sermon that you're like, mm, we need to work on something. I just want you to just to squeeze their hand just as, just as a, an acknowledgement. Maybe you both squeezed and praise God. Just as an acknowledgement that there's a journey here. Okay. The devil loves shame. Jesus hates shame. And if you want to get rid of the enemy, you have to start reminding him about what has overcome your, your shame. You have to start reminding him about the blood. The enemy hates it when you talk about the blood of Jesus because what it does is it reminds him of that moment that he lost. It reminds him that he doesn't have a future, that his power in this earth is not forever. And so this morning, we are gonna get total victory.
Can you do this with me? Yeah, come on. Worship him. God wants to rebuild your ministry. He wants to rebuild your purity. He wants to rebuild your marriage. He wants to rebuild your singleness. He wants to redeem the pain. And everywhere where there's shame in it, he's crossing it out today. He's crossing it out with his blood. And he said, I did it back then and my power is still good today. And I'm gonna keep eradicating shame every time you call on me. And so we're gonna overcome with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony this morning. You are a child of God. God says who you are. That's who what he said before the foundations of the earth. And that's what he's saying right now in this moment. Shame has to go. This is a no shame zone. Will you sing it over it this morning? And so what I want you to do is copy the link to this podcast episode, share it on your social, direct message your friends, whatever you have to do. And we love you guys. We consider you family, whether you're here locally in New York City, Metro, Long Island, or whether you're listening in other parts of the world. And so shout out to you guys. We'll see you next week.